with you again this evening. I am grateful for the privilege of preaching. It is a real honor to have spent this week with you, with Pastor Napier and Heidi. I didn't have the privilege of meeting Heidi until this time, because last time she was in England. And uh, I am very thankful for this couple. They're both great people and uh, excited to meet the rest of the, uh, the family. Hallelujah. What a great family you have here. Yes. Pastor Napier and his children, wonderful blessing. Let's give God praise for them tonight. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for this couple. Thank you, Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you came to church tonight. Thank God. Some of you meant that. It is a privilege, again, to have shared this week with you. I want to say thank you again for your giving tonight. To receive a gift from you, I am very grateful for it. My wife, my family, we thank you for your investment in our lives. It is always an honor to spend time with the people of God. Eternity awaits us. Heaven, our heavenly abode, going to heaven one day. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Can't wait to get there. Can't wait to get there. Gosh, the reward to be in the presence of the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. God bless you. Keep us in prayer. We're really believing for breakthroughs, I'm asking you specifically to pray for the next 30 days. If you would, every single day for my daughter, Heather. She is not saved. She's backslidden. And she needs to get saved. I'm asking for your help. She needs to be convicted and come to Christ. And so I'm believing with you. Please remember my wife, Paula, my son, Caleb. We appreciate your prayers. Genesis chapter 15, if you have your Bibles this evening. Genesis chapter 15. In the obscure, distant waters of Canada and Alaska, the life of the king salmon begins. As the king salmon develops... It swims from the place of its origin, its birth, into the streams, from the streams to the rivers, from the rivers to the lakes, from the lakes into the ocean where it will spend most of its life. In its instincts, it will know that it needs to return back to its place of origin to give birth. To do so, it will have to navigate, contend with the current, overcome obstacles, rocks, and waterfalls, fight predators, and ultimately it will return to the place where it originated. There is, again, a parallel this evening in the message. 
And that is that salvation begins in obscurity. In this place of obscurity, development, change, transformation. It is here that you become familiar with the reality of serving God. That in those moments early on, a revelation of who Jesus is, His grace, His mercy, His love for us individual, individually. And what we will find is that in the development, there will be those moments when you're challenged to contend, to press into your salvation. You will hear those messages as you become attentive to the preaching of the Word of God, that Word that counsels, that Word that convicts, that Word that comforts. And as you hear it, the reality of destiny, the plan that God has for your life, I know my thoughts towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, a future and a hope the plan, and how to get there. What God begins to install in your heart as you listen and abide in truth. Christ abiding in you, he will alert you to the fact that you need to pray without ceasing. He will challenge you to read the word of God, to be faithful to devotion. He will meet with you. There will be those special moments in prayer, those moments at the altar. You're hearing something, God speaking to you specifically. It may come through the preaching or a word. Someone gives you a word, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. And in that, you're made aware of the fact that God is moving in your life. But there's always this reminder in the details of it all that you're going to have to contend for the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. I want to preach a message I have entitled Contending out of Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. 
And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, cut them in two down the middle, and placed each piece, of piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror, great darkness fell upon him. Verse 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch that passed between those pieces on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God, we thank you for the covenant and we come boldly to you tonight asking for the ability and the gifting to preach this message for we have no confidence in the arm of flesh. We're asking for this final service for you to move upon it supernaturally, casting down opposition, demonic powers. We pray the Holy Ghost in this place and all God's people said, I want to look first of all at the storm. Now here in the scripture, it is apparent that Abram is experiencing the perfect storm in his life. The perfect storm, the details are here. Barrenness and fear. It's the word of God spoken. God says, The word of the Lord came to him in a vision saying, Fear not. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. In a vision. Now this word simply means, vision simply means mental images. Mental images can be positive or they can be negative. In relation to Abram, negative, barrenness. In his mind, something had occurred. This barrenness became internal, a self-evaluation. Fear. Fear, again, is the dark room where all of your negatives are developed. And here we find in these mental images difficulty. And God speaks to the storm. He says, fear not. There are people here tonight... There are struggles in your life that are apparent. You're dealing with them. And in the struggles, mental images, things that are very real to you, they trigger emotion, mental stress. Things become overwhelming. This is the storm in your life. And it is here that we're challenged spiritually. We're challenged mentally. We're challenged financially. However it applies, it is a very real challenge. And as we look back at the scripture, we find God speaking to the storm in Matthew chapter 8. Again, we find 
the Lord speaking to a storm. The scripture gives us the details. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. A gale, a storm, the wind began to blow. The boat, it is tossed to and fro. The fishermen, the apostles, the disciples, they cry out, Jesus, we are perishing, save us. Jesus awakens from a nap. He says, why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And he speaks to the storm, the words that he speaks, be still. And immediately there was a great calm. Back to the scripture. We find that Jesus is speaking to the storm, the storms in Abram's life. God's word for you and I is supernatural. It's more than just verbiage. It has content. The content that we find in the scripture is that it's filled with God's covenant, his promises. And so he says, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. My word for your life, for your lives, is a gift. I want to look secondly at the gifts. Now, as you look into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're reminded of these gifts, two of which are the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. These gifts are to be dispensed. They're given to men, and then these men of God, these people of God, they stand in a place where God moves upon the individual again to give these words, these promises to his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gift of healing, of faith. These are gifts for you and I. And so we see in the scripture how the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom is given some very important details when they truly are these gifts given to you and I. Look at what happens after God speaks. God speaks in verse 1, Then the response of Abram, What will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? This is his appeal. This is his prayer. This is the storm. This is the mental image. And God speaks and we get an example of how the word of knowledge operates. Look at what happens. It says, behold. 
This is God speaking. And what he is saying is, I want you to pay attention to this. Behold, Eleazar of Damascus is not your heir. Your heir will come from your own body. And so here is how the word of knowledge works. When it's truly the word of knowledge, first of all, this will be a word that comes from God. Behold, pay attention. Secondly, it will be specific. The true word of knowledge will deal with circumstances that's very real to you. Again, whether that's financial, spiritual, mental, physical, relational. However it applies, it will be specific and in the details, it will be intimate. In the details, you'll know that's God for your life. Because God will disclose things in the word that helps you to know, God, you really do know what's going on in my life. You see things, I didn't think you were paying attention. But the details. The second thing that we see is the word of wisdom. Notice what happens then. God says, come outside. Look up at the heavens. Count the stars if you can. Scientists agree that there's more stars in the heavens than there is sand upon the seashore. Remember Genesis 13. God has already promised. He said to Abram, I'm going to give you descendants. He's not just talking about physical posterity or physical children. He's also talking about spiritual descendants. He says, I'm going to give you children like the sand upon the seashore. And now I want you to look up. Look at the stars. This is again a reminder of something that I've already promised you. And as Abram is counting the stars, God's moving. He's looking beyond that which Abram sees. He's looking into the future, other constellations. He looks into the future, October 2019, and he sees the spiritual descendants of Abraham sitting here. He sees you. Because he knows the beginning from the end. And this, in fact, is how the word of wisdom operates. It gives us a glimpse of the future. When I was a disciple in Farmington, New Mexico, my wife and I went to a conference in Gallup. On the way to the morning seminars... Paul and I were having a conversation. We had already been challenged. We felt God moving on us. We wanted to pioneer a church. And I'm telling my wife, I said, Paula, if God will help us, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. 
I got to the seminars that morning. We're sitting in an audience of several hundred people. Glenn Cluck's preaching. If you don't know Glenn Cluck, he's one of our great preachers in our fellowship, but he's also an evangelist. He has a tremendous gift ministry. And he points up into the audience. He didn't know me. I knew who he was. But he says, you, brother, stand. You told God that you would go anywhere, that you would do anything, and he's going to take you up on it. (laughs) Specific. Detailed. And God makes himself real to me in the word of wisdom. He gave me a glimpse of the future. And this is what the word of wisdom does, is it helps us to be aware of the fact that there's more. More. And this is what God's doing for you and I. Notice there's two things that Abram does at this point. Look at what it says. God says, I am the God who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. Abram, how do I know that I will inherit it? He says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. The thing that God recognized first in Abram was that when God spoke, he believed. This is always something that God sees. Notice that God saw it and he accounted it to him as righteousness. This is an accounting term, which means that God took notice and he also recorded it. Righteousness. Without faith, you will not please God because God sees your immediate response. When you receive something specific, Direct from God, He's watching. He's watching your response this evening. He's watching your response. There's something that He's concerned about in relation to how you believe His Word. When God gives you a word, when God speaks to you specifically, directly, He's watching. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. The next thing that happens is when he gives him the list of animals to bring, he builds an altar and he sacrifices them to the Lord. He yields the best of himself. And this again is an act of faith. I'm willing to surrender 
my very best in relation to you and I, that's our life. Surrendering. God, I'm giving you the best of myself. Whatever the demand is, God, you're worthy of it all. And this is the picture that we receive here in this scripture is that he got the best of his flock. And he brought it to God and he says, I'm willing to give this and whatever else you want. A living sacrifice. I mentioned it. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I want to look now in conclusion at a supernatural response. Because notice now, after the animals have been laid out upon the altar, the investment, what happens? There is a response from the enemy. The vultures come. And their aim is to molest, to devour the offering. This again is what hell seeks to do. Is the enemy... Satan is the devourer. And he has come to take advantage. He wants to rip you off. He strategically moves in at this time. God is doing something powerful in Abram's life. And now that the offering has been given, the strategy is to devour. And when you're willing to yield the very best of yourself to God, the enemy's not just going to leave you alone. He's going to target that. And he begins to, through propaganda and accusation, steal the gift, the sacrifice. Steal it. And then the next thing that happens, uh, now that he has believed, the scripture says, a great darkness, a darkness falls upon him, a fatigue, a weariness. Has any of you been experiencing an unusual fatigue lately? A weariness. Amen. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's strategic. It's a fatigue. And in the fatigue, the enemy again tries to bring a darkness. He seeks to steal the light. Your passion for Christ. And that's what happens is hell attacks when we're weary. Hell begins to invite us into this place of darkness, doubt, 
Doubt's straight from hell, Fred. When God says something, He means it. And it is here that God now responds and reminds us of His covenant. Notice what happens. At a critical moment, the Bible says a smoking oven and a torch pass right over the top of the offering. This, in the detail, is very helpful because God always remembers His covenant with you and I. He never forgets. He makes you a promise. He's not like us. Sometimes we make promises and we don't keep them. But God always remembers. And as He is passing over the offering, the Bible says that this oven is diffusing smoke. Smoke speaks of a message. Because sometimes in the darkness, it's like walking in the fog. I was in London, and I'm sure our friends here, especially Heidi, she'll say amen to this. There's times I've been in London, and boy, I'll tell you, the fog is unbelievable. It's like, where do I go? I'm lost. There's a good thing that people, there's people there that know where we're going. Because it's so thick, it's so dense. It's hard to navigate in that. And that's the way life is sometimes. When we're going through stuff, it's like, what do I do? It's what Abram's going through. God is speaking to him, but he's still in a struggle. And right behind the smoking oven, a torch. And this torch enlightens us because we find in Psalms 119 that God is a lamp unto our feet and a guide upon our path. That in the midst of the experience, no matter where you are, what you're going through, God is present to guide us through it. He is here tonight revealing himself to us through his word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is the word. He reveals himself. This is the light. This is the revelation, the self-revelation of God. And when we begin to speak of who he is, he says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Follow me. Follow me. It was approximately seven years after I had received that word from Glenn Cluck before I would be launched out to pastor a church. My passion, my desire was to do something for God. God, you want to use my life? You want to use my life? My passion. 
the ultimate opportunity that Jesus would call me by name Chris. Chris. Is that you, Lord? Chris, how many times did I feel the nudging and the presence of God in the circumstances of life that kept me on the path, the pursuit, the fulfillment of destiny? Pastor Payne said to me, Chris, where would you like to go? I said, Pastor, I'd like to go Pioneer Church out on the Navajo Reservation. And he was a bit reluctant because it was my first pastorate. And this truly is a very difficult place to Pioneer Church. Lots of witchcraft, opposition. There were strongholds. But I knew God had spoken to me. And so Pastor said, listen... I'm going to send you there. There's four things that we need to see. Four things. He says, you need a home. On the reservation, you can't just move out there because it is Native American. You have to have someone that you know. Or there in Kayenta, they had the Black Mesa Mobile Home Park. You need to have a mobile home. I didn't have a, I didn't have a penny to buy any of that. No way, no how. But I believed God. And he said, next thing you need is you need a church building. The next thing you need is a job. And the next thing you need to make sure of is that your children's schooling is adequate, especially your son Caleb who has Down syndrome. So I'm praying, man. I'm going to prayer every morning. If you're going to do something for God, you're going to need to develop a prayer life. And I watch my pastor. Thank God you have a pastor who comes to prayer every morning. Pastor comes in here every morning at 645. And he prays. I watch him. I said, I'm familiar with this kind of a guy. This is the kind of man I want to be that prays. And I'm contending. I'm praying. I'm saying, God, <laughs> you heard the list. I need, a, I need a home. And I don't have no money. I, had, I didn't have a dime. But I had a burden. So after prayer one morning, I went to this place called High Country Mobile Homes. The gentleman who owns its name is Jim Mahalich. He's a backslidden Christian. I'm talking to Jim one morning. I'm saying, listen, I want to go to the Navajo Reservation and Pioneer Church. Do you have anything real cheap and old? Because <laughs> I can't afford anything other than that. So he listens and he's got a piece of paper laying on his desk. And so... When he starts telling me about this home he has, he says, I've got a 16 by 80 Liberty Mobile home, brand new. I, I'm, I'm wanting to say, Jim, I just told you. <laughs> you know how salesmen are. They want to sell you something you can't afford. And that's the direction. I'm, th I'm going to have to say no. 
And so he says, a 16, it's brand new. He says, I tell you what, he turns over the, the piece of paper, and on it is a contract. And on the contract, there is a zero with a line through it. He said, Chris, listen, three days prior to you coming in, God spoke to me. And he said, he told me there's a man coming into my business. And when he does, I want you to give him this home. He gave me a brand new home. Beautiful, 16 by 80, 16 feet wide, 80 feet long. My wife went in and looked. She began to weep. Pastor Payne, I call him. Pastor, I, guy just gave me a brand new home. I want to see it. <laughs> so I took him out there. He looked at it. He says, listen, you stay here, and I'll go to the reservation. <laughs> listen to me. When I got that word from Glenn Cluck, God gave me a glimpse of the future, but I had no idea that it involved a 16 by 80 home brand new. Had no idea. But God did. Now I need a church building. So I tell you what, I'm believing God here, man. I went back to Mahalich. I said, listen, because you gave us a home, can, can we buy a, a big used, they had a bunch of big used double wides. They're twice as wide and as long. They are big. They're huge. They're like this room almost this size. And they make a great church building once you tear all the walls out. He said, I've got several out there. Go look. So I went and found the biggest one I could find. I came in. I said, listen, what about that building? He says, yeah, absolutely. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you that building too. And I'll move it out there for free. Now, when he gave me that building, I had no idea. When I got that word from Glenn Cluck, I had no idea that God was not only giving me a home, but now he's giving me a church building. Free. I'm talking about, this is Zarephath, folks. This is 70% unemployment. It's out on the middle of the reservation. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, it's not a beautiful place. <laughs> so I need a place to put this building. So I start looking around Kayenta, and I find the old potter's house that had been abandoned in 1990. Guy was pastoring, he just closed the door and left. So I call up, I find out who this guy was. He still owned the building. I call him up, I said, listen, sir, I've been, I'm going to come out here, I'm pioneering a church. I have a building, but it's going to take a while to get it out of here. Is there any chance that I could rent this building from you until we get our church out here? thinking this guy didn't want to talk to me. He says, oh, I'll give it to you. <laughs> I call it Pastor Payne. I said, Pastor, you are, <laughs> this guy just gave me the church building out here in Kayenta. He says, get me one. 
which he was just kidding. But he gave that church building to the Door Christian Fellowship in Farmington, our church. He wrote, we, we made up a document, and he signed it over to the church in Farmington. Now I need a job. 70% unemployment. So I go to the Holiday Inn there. It's the only job that I found that was available, but it really wasn't available. Couldn't have taken care of my family. It was only like five bucks an hour. So as I'm walking out of the building, I'm looking around, and the building is in bad shape. It needs paint. It needs a lot of work. And so I turn around and go back in, and I say, the guy's name was Daryl. I said, Daryl, listen. Would you be willing to hire somebody to fix this place up? He says, you know, we're taking bids for that right now. I said, would you take a bid for me? He said, absolutely. So I worked up a bid, submitted it. It was $19,000. There's another man who had submitted a bid, $30,000. But he would have been coming from out of town, and he would have needed to feed the people and keep them there at the hotel. So he had to pay that cost. So what happens is in the middle of Zarephath, I get a $19,000 job, labor only. I'm rejoicing. A man by the name of Dick DeRozier comes out. He's working for Holiday Inn. He's one of the big shots. He starts looking around. He's writing up change orders. That bid went from $19,000 to $73,000. And I did it in 19 weeks. In the middle of 70% unemployment. Now, when I got that word from Pastor Cluck, I had no idea that God was going to give me two church buildings, a job like I got, a beautiful home, and the fourth thing, after the first year we were out there, Caleb, my son with Down syndrome, received an award for being the most popular kid in the school. All four. God gave me a glimpse of that when I got that word from Pastor Cluck. But I had to contend. Seven years, I had to believe God. I had to say, God, you said. And the day came when God made it a reality because I believed God. How about you tonight? God has made you promises. And he's a promise keeper. Can you say amen? Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes, heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here this evening, you're not saved. 